Hi, I'm Aaron Schatz, and I'm a little dim today. Apology. I have a huge light pointed at me, and yet my camera and my laptop doesn't want to, like, show me super bright. But hi, welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream. Uh, hello to everybody who is watching us on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and on the widget in the corner of footballoutsiders.com. Uh, Today is the Ask Us Anything show where we just talk about whatever comes to our minds about football and more importantly, whatever comes to your mind, which is why you should be watching the show live every day, especially Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, because you can ask us questions. So I'm Aaron Schatz. I am joined, as always, by Mike Tanier. We are joined also today by Brian Knowles. You know him from Scramble for the Ball, and he's our Loser League expert this year. Uh, thank you again to everybody who watches the show live. Thank you to everybody who's listening afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Please don't forget about our limited time offer to get FO Plus for only 99 cents a week. It's all kinds of advanced metrics uh, to help you with your betting and your fantasy teams, fantasy football research data for the playoffs, picks against the spread, uh, which seem to always be going against Cincinnati this year, but that's another thing. <laughs> my, my pick of the week, you know, we do these pick of the week videos uh, mm -hmm. and four of the last six have been picking against Cincinnati. You, you got to win this week. That was an easy win. Uh, I got to win this week. Yeah, the Chargers. Yep. Uh, the week, no, my picks against Cincinnati are two and one. I picked Cleveland and Chargers correctly and Pittsburgh incorrectly. Mm. Um. So yeah, 99 cents a week, footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Okay, you can ask us any questions you want in the chats on Twitch and YouTube, but we also got some questions beforehand from readers. And the first one is uh, from Massapequa Parking on Twitter and asked us, if Belichick took urine, would he cover when he beat his in? Yes. <laughs> I think that that's pretty, pretty clear. Right. This I is a reference to a famous quote about, I can't remember which coach the quote is about. It was Lombardi, I think. I think it was Lombardi. He, he could take Yorin and beat Hizen, and he could take Hizen and beat Yorin. Yes. Yorin is in yours, not like something inappropriate. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't think that Belichick could beat any team with any roster in the league. I think he would have a problem with the Jets roster too. He had a problem with the 2020 Patriots roster. So he did. Scans. Right. Right. But I, I interpreted this to say, well, you know, head to head. I was about to say mano a mano, but that's a bad translation. Head to head, person to person. What could you beat Bill Belichick in in this world? You know, like, like what 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 thing are you better at in this world than Bill Belichick? Come Bill Belichick coming off of that victory, of that game plan in those circumstances. Like what what? What are you, what am I personally better at? What are you guys personally better at than Bill Belichick? Well, the, the one area that we do occasionally criticize him for is the fourth down decision-making, how he has been, uh, the league has caught up to him. Uh, he's now conservative compared to the league as a whole. Right. I think uh, uh, the uh, night game showed just how many of the other things that maybe we don't have an exact metric for that he's just so good at. Because I can tell you, 28 coaches would not have decided, like, oh, you know what? let's just pass the ball three times. Let's just pass the ball never. They would have tried <laughs> to run, like, a variation of their offense kind of thing and then end up getting blown out. It was, right. it, 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 it was a sight to see. I, yes. I mean, I would have passed the ball more. I, I would have passed the ball more 
in particular during the two quarters when they had the wind, not yes. downfield, but I was surprised they only tried one screen pass. That too. Which screen passes to me would not seem like passes where the wind would carry the pass away. No, and it would be just enough to diversify things and to get the ball moving because they went three and out a lot in that game. Yeah, they they were not that much more efficient than Buffalo in that game. Like basically, no. they won that game on red red zone stops. Yes. Yeah. Right. No, it was penalties, sacks by the Bills in the red zone, missed field goal, obviously. Yeah putting themselves in position where it's like fourth and, you know, 12 or fourth and goal and they can't get more than 10 points on the board. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I think of the missed field goal as more of a red zone stop than your usual missed field goals, because this time they knew that if they stopped them in the red zone going in that direction, the odds of a field goal hitting were really bad. Like that, that missed field goal was a lot less lucky than right. all the other missed field goals against the Patriots this year, which right. were in normal weather. <laughs> now, now um, use, useful is worse than saying Nick Sirianni, who is a rock, paper, scissors expert. Yes. Uh, I don't know, because if I went up against Bill Belichick and rock, paper, scissors, and he was dialed in and he started looking at me, he'd probably find a tell. He would find a tell that I wasn't aware of before I could find a tell on him, because he would just be like, and like give us no nothing. So I don't know if I could beat Belichick in rock, paper, scissors. Bill Houston says the Raiders famously have commitment to excellence as their team mantra. I'm convinced that <laughs> joyless life is Belichick's mantra for the Patriots. Listen, winning is fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, winning on a team that's fun is more fun, but I don't think Patriots players mind being on a team that wins all the time. And I don't think they're as strict as some of the uh, some as some of the outsiders seem to think. Uh, you know, like you talk about ex players talk about having good times and like how oh Belichick just cares if you like I think they keep to leave on the Manning cast. Belichick cares if you show up on time and you know your stuff. And yeah. outside of that, he's he's kind of okay with you being who you are. You can show up in footy pajamas and he'll it'll be okay with you. You can have fun on a Bill Belichick team as long as you're doing your job properly. You can show up in footy pajamas as long as you're doing your job properly and not leaking anything to the press. Yes. (laughs) And that's it. I think there's some things like the the social media element of things that guys do chafe against. But you're right. I always got the impression it was a super structured environment. But I come from an education background. Super structured does not necessarily mean that, oh, you have been stomped down and put down. It's like, no, the, the rules are very clear. And it's like, okay, this is your time it's your time. The rules are clear when it's your time too, that you're not going to suddenly get told you weren't allowed to do that when it was supposed to be, you know? Yeah. I definitely think they don't want players off freelancing on social media. That is definitely a thing. Like, and you see, by the way, Brady and Gronkowski much more active on social media and, um, endorsements, uh, a commercial commercial since they went to Tampa Bay. Right. Right. And you can see that being a thing that, that does really get, I mean, these, these are younger dudes and everything. They're used to this as a lifestyle being told no, no, no for that. Probably chase them, but you know, you get to go to Super Bowls and things I like that. I don't think Gronk was not having fun in New England. I think Gronk was having plenty of fun. Maybe not quite yes. as much fun as he's having now, <laughs> but he was having fun. Winning, winning is fun. I mean, players like to be on teams that win. I, I've always been a little surprised that players don't consider that a little bit more when they're deciding on signing places in free agency. 
Right. Like when you get to these ridiculous amounts of money, I would think that happiness and $8 million would be better than lack of happiness and $8.5 million. <laughs> I agree. I think sometimes that does play in. I mean, there's been talk for years of this team had to overpay to get them. This team had to overpay to get them. So I don't know. It's not my money. It's, it's uh, not, my, not my pay grade. Brian did mention before the show, the hundred yard dash is something yeah. where we, we would likely beat Bill Belichick. Not me. Not me. You know, um, he's on the treadmill often enough. He can beat me in a four yard. He might be able to be, I may be old enough that he could beat me too. That's possible. Right. Um, Bill you Houston know, says Belichick caused damage to Rob Ryan's eardrum by striking him. If, if there's a story there, I do not know it. I don't remember that one. I don't, I remember plenty of coaches going after each other in, in the, in the back room stories. So it's like, it's not that, not that unusual. And now, in, the case, in the case of Kevin Gilbride, on the field. On the field with Buddy, yeah. I mean, it's it's a Ryan. You're going to hit a Ryan at some point, or they're going to hit you. That's how it goes. Is he in Baltimore right now? Is Rob in Baltimore? I thought I saw him on the sidelines during the Pittsburgh-Baltimore game. That sounds very plausible. but yeah, I he's, he's the inside linebackers coach. Oh, there, there you go. There you go. I didn't get down there this year. I would have spotted him on the sidelines. But, you know, when I look about Belichick and strategy, I personally think, oh, I could beat him in Civilization Six video game. I, but then I thought about it, and it, if Bill Belichick was introduced to the Civilization VI video game and got past the it's a video game, I don't want to answer I'm not sure I remember it. He would love it. When he discovered it was all about building granaries and water mills and things like that, and he would get completely into it. And if he got like if he got like three days of practice, I think Bill Belichick would beat me in Civ, the one thing I am passionate about other than the NFL and my, my, my family. So that's scary. <laughs> He does like to plan ahead. Yes, yes. He'd be building. He'd be thinking about wonders, like, like on he, turn three. He, I, I, he strikes me as someone who's probably a good chess player. Yes. Oh yeah. And he would slaughter me in chess. I'm terrible at chess. Um, um, although I don't know because he spends. He has spent so much of his life dedicated to football. I have no other idea what other uh, past times he even has other than football and sailing. Military strategy history is a big thing he's interested in. He did a show on History Channel a few years back. So again, that plays into that means you probably you're okay at chess, and you'd be good yeah. at Civ because you can th you think in those terms, etc. So it's down to stuff like like a like a guitar shred off. That's what that's what I would be down to to try and beat Bill Belichick or something. Joey sucks says Belichick would mod Civ Six to have the end game be building a Civ advanced enough to institute a football league, and then it would turn into football manager. <laughs> I've That's never played football manager. I've always thought about playing. I thought it might be fun to play football manager. I don't know if I know enough about soccer to really right, play yeah. it though. Yeah. All those games are now too much like what we do. <laughs> yeah. Like I started playing Madden like a couple of years ago. It's like, Oh, I'll start a draft. It's like, I have to prep for a draft. That's what I do. That's, that's, that's five, <laughs> you know, so that, that kind of takes away the joy of some of the sports games. I have enough spreadsheets in my life to not play football manager. Yeah, I'll stick with like <laughs> instead. Um, all right. Here's another question that we got on the timeline on Twitter. We can talk a little bit about from Boone's pacemaker. What are the NFC playoff implications of the Lions win? And are we in a cursed timeline where three NFC East teams actually make the playoffs? No. Um, I did run a simulation <laughs> query 
And in our latest simulations, only in 2% of simulations do three NFC East teams make the playoffs. That's too high. That's scary. The problem is that Washington and Philadelphia still play each other twice. So either one team is going to sweep them and knock the other one out of contention, or they're or they're going to split them, and then that's going to be tough for them both to catch the uh, Rams and 49ers and so on. Oh, so I forgot to mark down what Philadelphia is. I marked down what everybody in the NFC's playoff odds were, and I forgot to look at Philadelphia's for some reason. Uh, it's it's somewhere in the teens. I bet, I bet they're in four, they're at forty. They're at forty percent right now. Unbelievable. Oh no, here it is. Okay, so it, here's what we have for the NFC: Arizona, right. Dallas, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay are in, pretty much. Yeah. Rams, 92%. Yes. Okay. San Francisco, 81%. Because even though they're 6-6, and that is a team in the top 10 of DVOA. And they have a very easy future schedule based on our numbers. Now, interestingly, based on win-losses, they do not have an easy future schedule. The 49ers essentially play all the teams that DVOA doesn't like. Yes. Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. Atlanta. Well, and Tennessee. Yeah. Those are like the three teams that DVOA most hates compared to their win loss record. Then they play Houston. And then they play the Rams. Oh, but in a game where it's possible that one or both of those teams will have clinched a playoff spot by that point. Or that the 49ers at that point, yeah, exactly. The 49ers will get up to nine and eight at that point, or nine and seven, whatever, and it won't matter to them. But those aren't just the teams DVOA hates. It's basically the Bengals and the teams anyone who's really watching, yeah, hate at this point. Because like Tennessee right now, it's just like Tennessee is. It feels like they've been on a buy since like October 5th. Like I have forgotten the Titans existed up until like since the moment Derrick Henry went down. So that's a team that's definitely on the way down, and, and, and DVOA is just probably a little ahead of that. And who was the other one? Uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Atlanta, and Tennessee. Oh, Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta. 32nd DVOA still, and just outside the playoff race. <laughs> well, it's just amazing what that schedule does for you because every win is a junk win, a close win against a bad opponent. So you yeah. have to really, and, I, and I, was, I saw people in the, the Falcons media talking playoffs, and then it's like, and then we extend Matt Ryan's contract. And I was like, I'm dead. I'm done. Like, you're going to look at this and say, oh, we went close to 500. We're going to build around Matt Ryan and extend his contract out another year to get cap space to bring guys in for next year. Like, you have to work to be fooled by the Atlanta Falcons at this point. If the Rams are at 92 and the 49ers are at 81, it's very likely there's one spot up for grabs. Yeah. And so Philly, 40, Minnesota, 36, Washington, 29, New Orleans, 16. And the answer to what were the implications of the Lions win is, boy, did it screw the Vikings. <laughs> they dropped 20% in the playoff odds. Right. Not to mention whatever are the emotional ramifications, psychological ramifications of losing to the Lions on the last play, which I don't know whether that will affect them in future games. But if it did, I wouldn't be shocked. It feels like the kind of game which can go on your epitaph. Like, you know, yes. this is why Mike Zimmer was fired. He lost to the winless Lions. <laughs> and they lost Thielen. They lost Thielen in that game. Yeah. Yes. Right. So yeah. that takes him down. And, and I'm, well, I'm sure we'll talk tomorrow more about this, this uh, 
procrastination of the rebuilding bowl tomorrow night between the Steelers and the Vikings. But yes, tomorrow's show, we're having Arif Hassan from the Athletic Minnesota on to specifically talk about the Vikings before Thursday night football and what went wrong this year and where the hell they go from here. So we'll save some of our Vikings talk for tomorrow. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the ramifications were very bad for the Vikings, but it's unlikely that two NFC East teams make it because San Francisco, we have their chances as so good because their schedule is so easy by our numbers. Right. It, it also kept the Lions alive. They've got a chance. It requires <laughs> at least one tie, but they are still mathematically in it. <laughs> Fight some caps. Go. And they, they can knock the Falcons out for good, whatever percentage points left for the Falcons in week 16. And you know if they're if they really have gotten to the point where they can spoil, they can spoil the Broncos this week. If that's if that's where they're at, where they're turning these fourteen to sixteen losses into sixteen to twenty nine, twenty seven wins, they've got a couple of teams. The Lions can come up and kind of just take just like a shark from the bottom of that wild card race. And like, nope, pull you guys down, pull you guys like kneecaps, down. like biting the kneecaps of teams in yes. the wild card race. Is that what you're yes. saying? Yes, to coin a phrase. <laughs> uh, I have some other two interesting odds stuff but first let's take a couple of questions that we've got from today p funk says who would you build a team around today josh allen kyler murray lamar jackson or uh justin herbert an embarrassment of riches yeah my answer is i'll trade down to fourth and get more picks later about these guys but nice yeah take the fourth guy yeah i think Uh, if i had to do one i I'm an old school pesca. I like Herbert. I like I like I like his stuff. I I like I like the the, the drop back passer. I really do. And I, I I think I just have too many flashbacks of watching all of Allen's rookie and second year film to really go with him at this point in time. Right. I would go with Allen because I want the the dual threat mobility. I want a big guy with dual threat mobility because I worry about the littler guys in there. I have those flashbacks too, but I also saw last year and parts of this year. And, you know, we'll probably talk about the Bills some more. I'd structure the offense differently. I'd structure the offense more like what some of these other guys get so that, oh, my God, most of the while you can throw the ball in space underneath and let the person, let somebody else do something besides everything having to be a 17-yard out or whatever that they're, they're doing with them right now. And I would take my chances with that. But, I, you know, I, you can't go wrong, I think, with any of these guys. Herbert by the way, is also a big dual threat guy. He can run. Yeah, he can run. Not He doesn't run quite as much as Allen, but he can run, and he is a big guy. Uh, I know Murray has the best numbers this year out of those four guys, but I think I'm with Brian. I feel like Herbert is the best of those four. If you take away scheme, that he's the guy that I would rather – he's the guy that I would most want to go with out of those four. Based on what he's done in the NFL and what his talents are, right? And Lamar Jackson at this point does scare me with these, these, you know, these brownouts, these glitches that he has. You know, Ryan, you talk about the first couple of years with Josh Allen. Yeah, you get like like the intermittent game, yeah, of that with Lamar Jackson as opposed to well, most of that's in the rearview mirror. No, some of that was happening last week and the previous week, and right now recency that makes me a little nervous. I feel like with Lamar Jackson, you have to structure your offense a certain way. Yeah. With Herbert, with Allen, and even with Murray, right. you have a lot more flexibility to attack your opponent's weaknesses right. by doing different things. Right, right. 
And, and useful is first says yes. it's funny that Jackson is the only one of that group that's actually won an MVP award, yes. which is true. Right. That's why you kind of fine with any of the four. I mean, they're, they're the very right. good young quarterbacks. You're, you're happy with them, no matter who you have. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's like screw that kid, but it's like we got choices here. We're gonna choose elsewhere. And, I, and again, part of that probably is the last three weeks or last month going back to the Dolphins game with Lamar Jackson. It's like let me see somebody who I haven't seen really stink. Because even Allen playing relatively poorly right now hasn't stunk that badly recently. I feel like even before the season, though, I would have had Allen and Herbert ahead of Jackson. I might not have had Murray ahead of Jackson until we saw what Murray has been able to do this season because Murray's been much better this season. Yeah. I mean, Murray is the best quarterback this year on a per-play basis. The biggest question about Murray is when it comes to the MVP voting, how much does it matter that he missed three games? And how right. does it matter that Colt McCoy won two games and looked pretty good winning those two games? And also a third game somewhere. In the right. Game. It's not just that he missed two games. It's that they looked pretty yeah. good without him. Right. That The yak that's produced in that system really yeah. does make a difference. Uh, Independent George asks, will Brady play long enough to face Arch Manning? And will the world end if that happens? So that would require him to play four more years, right? Mark Manning is a senior. I believe he's a senior. So if you assume that he comes out of college as soon as he can, that means he plays college for three years mm-hmm. and then comes to the NFL, which means he's in the NFL in 2025. I'm going to say yes. Okay. Brady is still around. Okay. And that's the question, long enough to face him, not will he actually face him, because it could wind up being, oh, we are still here, but the kids on the bench or they're in different conferences, et cetera. I could see that happening. Now, now by the way, has Arch Manning committed yet? Is he going old? No, as far as I know, he has not committed for next year. Brian is checking on that there. Um, Uh, If you want to know why Nick Saban went on the Manning cast, the answer is the Mannings could get any college coach they want to to come on the Manning cast until Arch Manning commits. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Dance for me. Dance for me, Brian Kelly. Change accents every five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That Brian Kelly accent thing was amazing. (laughs) How do you think you're going to get away with that? You've never met somebody who automatically picks up the accent of everyone who's talking around them? Uh, Not that badly, though. no, I mean that was pretty. I mean that was pretty egregious. Yeah. That was pretty like like contrived. Mm-hmm. I, I not to single my wife out. We we visited Ireland. We were in Ireland in two day for two days, and it was suddenly like piggly went. It's like top of the morning to everyone. Like, bring it back, bring it back. You know. So some people do that. When I when I go back to North Carolina, I do sometimes get a little bit of twang in my voice and say, oh, and like, you know, every is. now and again, every now and again. But you know, I don't I don't put it on intentionally like the Kelly was obviously <laughs> doing. And that's it. I think people hear it, and if it's if it's a if it's a voice they've heard in their in their lives, yeah. they'll bring it back. Like I, you know, sometimes I'll sound more Philly when I'm talking to that group of yeah. people, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. But yeah, you don't just invent a new one that you've never heard elsewhere in your life. Um, Todd Singer, going back to the previous question, says that you could make the argument for Lamar Jackson based on installing a run-heavy system just for him and being able to spend money elsewhere. How do you? You, you I mean, you still have to spend money on a run-heavy system. You just you're spending it more on run-blocking offensive linemen, and and I guess, I guess it means spend less on wide receivers. But that's kind of what the Ravens have been doing, and it hasn't been working out super great for them. 
Right. And you're spending the money on Jackson once the contract comes anyway. It's not like, well, we run the ball more. So, you know. Um, um, sold out Budokan. Budokan? Budokan. Budokan. That's from Budokan. Why do the Cardinals have a much higher chance of getting the one seed when they face a much higher, harder schedule than Green Bay and Tampa? That's Plus, Tampa has the higher DVOA. Right. Well, uh, the 10 and 2, the other one's a 9 and 3. Sorry, what? The 10 and 2, and the other team's a 9 and 3. That's uh... <laughs> right. The main answer is they've already got the win banked. The, the first thing is it's not a much higher chance. Right now, we have the Arizona getting the one seed 36% of the time, Green Bay 29, and Tampa Bay 26. So I actually think that's not a big advantage. That's pretty close together. But the answer is they already have the win banked. Right. They already are, they're, they're 10 and 2. They're already one win ahead of Green Bay and Tampa. I don't know how the tiebreakers work. I don't have tiebreakers in front of me as far as right. um, they uh, lost to Green Bay. Yes, they did. Yeah. So that's a head-to-head so, situation. So head-to-head, they lose the tiebreaker with Green Bay. But if it's a three-way tie, I believe the Buccaneers can end up coming on top due to a conference record. I believe last time I checked, that was going on there. But the, right. or, or a two-way tie with Tampa. They would Tampa yes. would have the better conference record. But it, it, So it really is It's that it's not that much higher of a chance and they already have the win banked. Yeah. Buccaneers are six and three in the NFC. I believe Arizona's six and two as well. Um, oh, so right now Arizona has the better NFC record. Right. But yeah, but they, they, they tied together. They, the Cardinals have to lose a game at some point, which is why. Yes. That, yeah. Right. Right. That's still yeah. the big. That's still a big determiner. Yes. The Cardinals have four NFC games left and one AFC game because they play the Rams, Lions, Cowboys, Seahawks, and then also in week 16 they play the Colts on Christmas night. Oh, wow. On Christmas night, on the 25th. Arizona, Indianapolis on December 25th. Yes. Oh, goodness. I'm going to be watching Carson Wentz for Christmas. Carson Wentz for Christmas. It is the ultimate Christmas gift for you. (laughs) It is for Eagles fans because maybe that'll be – no, they've already secured the first round pick. I think they're very close to that right now but uh yeah I'll, you know i'll be i'll be uh, celebrating a religious holiday by drinking and gambling and watching carson wentz yeah it's gonna very much the spirit of the holidays <laughs> um i mean i think it's pretty even between those three teams because arizona's banked the win yeah but yes tampa bay is the best of them so far and green bay has the easiest schedule remaining of the three so tampa, tampa bay's ain't hard either no no not after they get past buffalo it's pretty right. easy right uh, Tampa Bay's remaining schedule is, well, Green Bay's remaining schedule first. Green Bay's remaining schedule is Chicago, Baltimore, Cleveland, Minnesota, and Detroit. There's a lot of just we're still kicking teams. I'm not going to count the Bears. They were still kicking team last week, but there's a lot of we're still kicking teams in there. Yeah, I feel like the Bears are dead. The Ravens and the Browns are still in it. Absolutely. And the Vikings, I guess, are still in it. I mean, DVOA still thinks they're good, so they beat the Packers already, right, a couple weeks ago, even though the Packers outplayed them in that game. The Vikings won the game. Um, So that is uh, Green Bay's schedule, and then Tampa's schedule. It's five straight games against the Falcons, I think. Tampa has the Bills, the Saints, the Panthers, 
the Jets, and then the Panthers again. And how hard you think that schedule is is partly depend on who you think the Panthers are. Yeah. Are they the Cam Newton you got in the first Cam Newton game, or is it the Cam Newton you got in the second Cam Newton game? The Cam Newton in the first Cam Newton game wasn't exactly blowing me away either, you know. But he was better than Sam Darnold. Yeah. True. True. I think the in, Panthers in the are first, the first start. I'm not talking about the game where he had like four passes. I mean, I'm talking right. about the the his he has he's had two starts. Right. Um, the the Saints are a wreck at this point. Yeah. And the Jets are a joke. Right. And so my, my faith the Panthers dropped dramatically when they fired Joe Brady randomly in the middle of the week. It's like that seems to be that you don't think you're going to do anything this year if you're firing off if you're changing off at the coordinators in December. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't understand why what you think is changing in the next 5 weeks that you would fit your your um fire your offensive coordinator now. It's yeah. it's it's clearly some political thing between Brady and Rule. If it really is what Rule said, which is that Brady's not running enough, that's just cr- insane. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's the first thing. It's the political some thing. Some kind of political or personality conflict between them. It, right. it, the fact is, if the if the Bucks beat the Bills, it's very likely that they finish fourteen and three. Yes, because it's very likely that they win their last four games. Agreed. Um, and so, the, this, a lot of whether they get the number one seed depends on that Bills game. Right, and I, I mean. I'm curious how the Bills are going to respond to this, but I'm also very pessimistic about how the Bills are going to respond to what we saw on Monday night. Um, why pessimistic? I Everything I've seen in every close, difficult test game this year, except for the Chiefs. Okay, they win the Chiefs game. They cannot close up against the Steelers. They cannot close it up against the, the Titans late in the game. They cannot close it up against the uh, Colts late in the game. And of course they've got the other loss there. They don't, nothing the bills are doing right now suggests we have a plan besides go out there and like expect to win based on like the quality of our roster. Right. I don't think they're game planning particularly well. I'm not think, I don't think they're playing particularly smart football in terms of penalties and things like that. I don't think they're playing particularly physical football as we saw for most of the night last last night. And I don't think you change all of those things on a short week going up against another team that, you know, has the potential to get into your you know, The difference is the weather will be much better, and Tampa is a team that's had injuries in their secondary, although some yeah. of those guys are back now. So you don't you don't need to run so much against, you know, you can pass against them. Right. Um, the uh, Todd Singer says NFL scheduling recently is just bananas, like the Browns going Ravens and then by and then Ravens. The other one that's crazy, by the way, is Washington's next yep. four games – Go Dallas, Philadelphia, Dallas, Philadelphia. The club sandwich of the NFC East. All right. Let's address let let I want to address the elephant in the room because I wanted to talk about this anyway. And True Mac just asked about this. Saw the tweet from Lindsay Rhodes, who I did a um uh uh a podcast with uh, that's available now at the athletics, saying the Patriots are now Super Bowl favorites in 33% of our simulations. Is this even real life? Okay, so yes, we have the Patriots higher than everybody else. I tried to walk through it in the DVOA commentary yesterday. Part of the reason why we have the Patriots higher than anybody else is that I'm using weighted DVOA 
which gives a little more strength to recent games. And since week four, the Patriots are the best team in the league by a good amount, like with a big gap between them and everyone else. Um, And that includes their losses to Dallas and Tampa Bay. Um, Our numbers just have them really, really high. And I know there's some accusations that because I'm a Patriots fan, there's homerism here. The actually the opposite is true. I don't like being an extreme outlier from the rest of the analytics world, but in particular, I do not like being an extreme outlier on the Patriots. I would much rather have it be Tampa Bay or Green Bay or Arizona that we had way higher than everyone else than have it be New England. I don't like this. I'm not enjoying this. (laughs) But this is what the numbers say. They have been so good since the beginning of October. So I went and I ran a playoff simulation using total season DVOA rather than weighted DVOA, okay? So what if we don't believe that it matters when a team gets better over the course of a season and we use the whole season? Doing that simulation, the new Super Bowl favorite is the New England Patriots. The difference is it's much, much lower. That would be the New England Patriots winning the Super Bowl in 23% of Sims rather than 33% of sales if you used full season DVOA. So even if we considered the first three games when they were not good, right? Yeah, they beat the Jets, but they were not good. Even considering those three games, they still come out as the Super Bowl favorite because they have the number one seed right now in the AFC. Right. They've been better than every other team except Tampa. And the NFC is going to cannibalize itself because there's so many really good teams in the NFC. The other thing I'll say is if we used total season DVOA rather than weighted DVOA, the Patriots are not the only other team that takes a hit. We would also be saying that Green Bay had less of a chance of winning it all. And that Kansas City had less of a chance of winning it all. Really? Yeah, because of the way Kansas City's defense has improved over the course of the season. So if you argue that we should be using those numbers for the Patriots, then you also have to argue that week one counts for the Packers. That that game they played again where the Saints just completely just destroyed them, Mm -hmm. like matters and says something about the Packers. Right. And that the Packers' chances of winning it all are also lower they win it all in um, 7.6% of our current Sims, and that drops to 5.3% if you use total season DVOA. And we do that, you do the weighted the way you do it because the, the validity has been checked over and over again over the course. It's of the slightly, okay. slightly more uh, correlates better to future performance. The difference is very small. Mm-hmm. But if I have these two ratings and this one is slightly better and logically it makes more sense that teams do get better and worse over the course of the season. Right. That's what I use. Right. And I guess, you know, when I look at, I mean, 33% sounds bananas. It still sounds bananas. And I agree. It sounds completely crazy. Right. But we have one like bad loss on the entire Patriots schedule. Really one bad, bad game. 
and it's right. the, the Saints game against a, a Saints team that was stronger when that happened. And, you know, do that for any other team, especially in the IFC. And you're going to find, here's the bad game, here's the other bad game, and here's the weak game, and here's the other weak game. You, you don't really get that. Like the most of the losses, okay, Cowboys, tough loss, good opponent. Buccaneers, tough loss, good opponent. So you got the Dolphins game, which was a tight, goofy thing. And the Dolphins are starting to improve and starting to show themselves. And you've got right. the, the Dolphins are better with Tua, right? We can all right. criticize Tua. Lord knows Derek Klassen has criticized Tua plenty for the fact that all he can do is throw RPOs, but he throws them really well. The <laughs> Dolphins are dramatically better when Tua Tagovailoa is their quarterback this season. And right. that was the Dolphins team that they faced in week one, not the Jacoby Brissett team that sucked for the next five weeks. Right, right. So when you try to look at the – so it's like, well, which team should be ahead of them? And we can say the Chiefs. And we can also point to all these games where the Chiefs did not even look like themselves, including a big chunk of Sunday night's game. Yes. Okay. And we just talked about the Bills and everything. There's no there's no team there. So it's almost like whatever you think of the Patriots, the teams that should defeat them or could are, are NFC teams at this point. The, the logical reason to have the Patriots lower would be if in the playoff odds simulation, I included a second variable that was just how good is the quarterback's resume? Right. That gave a boost to teams like the Chiefs and the Packers mm -hmm. and hurt teams like the Patriots. Right. Um, you know, the thing is that would also in the past have given a boost to like last year's Saints, and we already had last year's Saints too high. Yeah. 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 So I mean, I think we roll with what we say and say the probabilities are what we are what are what they are at this point. That whatever and, and you know, as like the the guy who likes to stir up Patriots fans, you know, all over the world. Um, you know, this is a team with outstanding defense outside of running game, outstanding offensive line, rookie playing historically well for a rookie or extremely well for a rookie overall, you know, whether you take that and go bananas with it is besides the point and is immaculately coached and is not giving up many yards points that they don't have to shoot. Well, they even gave that up in this last game in one right. anyway, that thing with the offer to kill Harry's mask. That is the kind of thing that does not happen to the Patriots and it happened to them and it yes. cost them cost them seven points and they won anyway. Right. And they still manufacture these wins. And again, if, if this was some, if this is urban Meyer or not even the urban Meyer, if this was Joe judge saying I'm manufacturing wins, I'd laugh at him. It's Bill Belichick manufacturing wins. There's, right. There is an actual process at the core of this that has been proven over 20, 20 years. So, you know, tell, tell me who you like better than, than, than the Patriots right now. It's like, and I'll listen, but it, it, unless it's the chiefs, I don't think you have an argument. Yeah, I mean, and your Chiefs argument has to be, mm -hmm. it's going to happen, right? Yeah. Like the offense, like even the last three games, that offense has not been great, but right. the great yeah. offense is still hidden there. Mm -hmm. And if you combine that great offense of the past with the defense that they've played since week six, that is a championship team. Yeah. So you're just like, it's there. We know it's there. Mahomes, you know it's there. Although someone said this, I can't remember who was commenting on this. Is there maybe something wrong with Mahomes that it seems like he throws so much from the three-quarter angle this year? Like, I'm not, I don't know much about injuries, but doesn't it seem like he drops his arm down, like, a lot this year? I haven't heard anything about injuries. I have heard people question, question his technique like that. Yeah, like, he's doing. he does seem to be doing that a bit more than he did in the first two years. And I can't remember who it was either, but someone was speculating that, oh, well, when you do that so often and you get away with it, and when you're practicing all these crazy circumstances, you can get into some bad habits. And even if you're Patrick Mahomes, like who is fantastic and amazing at everything, 
bad habits are still bad habits. So, you know, it might be something to self-scout in the offseason. I haven't heard anything about an injury, and he makes two or three amazing plays a game that makes me think, no, no, he's fine. It's got, it's got to be something else. But, yeah, he is definitely – he looks a little different. They're running RPO more, which I think is two high safeties. You've got space underneath. And it's a couple of times it looks like he's trying to hit a different window than what he's used to. He's trying to angle it into a different window. And, I mean, if that's the case, fine. Also, you know, make sure you're hitting that ball whether you're throwing it sidearm or you should be sidestepping and throwing it, or you should have hit it in the first window, whatever that those are the ones that seem to be glancing off of Kelsey or glancing off of Tyreek and into the hands of a, a defender, like happened the other night. And so, you know, some of it so, is his receivers, but those are the receivers he's got. He's not getting better receivers. Right. Like other than Hardy, uh, other than Kelsey and Hill, like the other receivers are still going to be McCole Hardman Pringle. and Robinson and Byron Pringle. Mm-hmm. that's not changing. No. And you're really going to ask for more than Tyreek Hill and Kelsey. So, you know, that's, that's as good as it's going to get with some supporting cast around it and some good running backs and a really good offensive line. Independent George says living, le- the leaving aside Belichick and Pat fatigue. I really enjoy watching their games. They produce a good football product. Yeah. The most it, shocking it, thing it, about it, this season is how much I enjoy watching the Patriots this year. Right. Right. I would enjoy it more if the screen pass on third and 12 for 13 yards wasn't offered up as proof that, you know, the, the, the rookie quarterback ha- is now the next, you know, Brady mixed with Alexander the Great. If, we, no, if there was see, a... We're all afraid to compare Mac Jones to Brady because of what Brady became. Mm-hmm. But Mac Jones is absolutely 2001 Tom Brady. The, the thing is, that does not mean he's going to become 2007 Tom Brady six years from now. And there were a lot of people, a lot of young quarterbacks who kind of looked like the 2001 Brady, but never had that defense around him to get into the Super Bowl. Right. You, know, you ran a list a couple uh, weeks ago, and there were a lot of outstanding quarterbacks on it. And Byron Leftwich was on it, and some other guys were on that. You know, looking like that and having that defense behind you, the defense behind you and the offensive line in front of you are pretty big variables in that equation. Um, Bill Houston says Chiefs gamble on Hardman and Norman to be their number three has not worked to this point. I think leaning on Hilaire can help fill the void. The passing game has been off for 60% of the season. Josh Gordon still on their, I think you mean Josh Gordon. Yeah. And he's still on their roster, but my God, has he done nothing? Right. Right. I mean, we, what did we expect from somebody who hasn't, I mean, I don't want to, you know, talk about his background or anything. He hasn't played. He hasn't played. Right. The great year was 2014, 2013. This is a long time ago. It's not like he, he's on a shelf and gets put back down. He's been aging. He's been doing Even the good, the good Patriots years were three years ago. Right. And they were like three or four games yeah. of like, of like real, of successful uh, play, you know? So I don't know what people expected there, but I, you know, the thing about Hardman is he's really good on those crosses and all those little tiny things along the way. They don't do the traditional stuff. They're not a traditional offense, and they don't do the traditional stuff outstandingly well. So when they do try to run a slant flat concept, that's the part that looks weird, as opposed to all the other things they do well. Yes, the flash has dimmed. That is yeah. correct. Josh Gordon is is absolutely dimmed. Trexel says, "Man, Bill really is a goat." Talking about Belichick, I think last year the argument that was made by a lot of people, and you know, look, the fact is the media has this need to talk about. Belichick and Brady because it gets ratings and we want people to watch us. This idea was, okay, Brady had proven it was all him and not Belichick. 
was a little ridiculous. Yeah. I think that what this year helped show is the reason why they won six Super Bowls and made it to nine was that they had both the best coach of all time and if not the best peak quarterback of all time, the best career quarterback of all time. If they had one and not the other, maybe they win two or three titles. Right. You have to have both. You have to have both Bill Walsh and Joe Montana to win five. You have to have both Belichick and Brady to win six. It doesn't mean one of them is necessarily much more important than the other one. It means they're both really important. If you only have one of those guys, then you're Peyton Manning's Colts and you win it once. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. And, and I think we all knew some of those discussions were contrived. Yeah. I mean, I'm shocked how many like really passionate sports fans are passionate about those arguments. Cause I always assumed they were for somebody who just sort of wandered in off the street and stuff, but like th- there's no substance to this. Is it him or was it him? It's, it's a very weird thing to even suggest. Sold out Budokan says one big difference between 2001 Brady and 2021 Mac Jones is that Brady won a ton of games late, three game winning drives and two in the playoffs. Jones has won so far against Houston. Although, I mean, one of those games in the regular season was the ridiculous, like the ball touched David Patton on his foot when he passed out out of bounds game. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can take apart some of these game winners. And this drives. defense is better. This defense is better than the 2001 defense. The 2001 defense was not this good in the regular season. Right. right. So, um, speaking of defense, here's another question that we got before the show from Alejandro Hegowich. Who do you guys think is defensive player of the year so far? The annual TJ Watt for defensive player of the year campaign is fully underway. I still think, as of today, Miles Garrett is the clear choice. TJ Watt is having a really weird season. If you look at uh, at, at just pressure numbers and pressure rates, he's like 10 or 15 pressures behind Miles Garrett and something like that. Yes. But he's leading the league in sacks by a, by two or three. Uh, according to SIS's charting, 6% of his pass rushers have turned into, turned into sacks. That is a crazy number. The previous mm. high of any one of these 200 pass rushers is 4.5%. So he's having this amazing season where every time he's rushing, six of the time he's rushing, something good is happening. Mm-hmm. And I think this, that's a little bit scheme. He feels like Watt gets unblocked more than Garrett does. Right. But I'm not going to object too much. I mean, Watt's having a great year. I'm not going to object too much if someone votes for, for, for the player of the year. The guy's got 16 sacks and is crushing quarterbacks all the time. Right. But, I, but he, his numbers feel unsustainable in, in a way more than uh, than say Garrett's does. Yeah, I, I mean he won that Ravens game. Yes. I mean, to a degree TJ Watt won that race. He won the an important game. That sticks out. Uh, I will go through the odds right now. TJ Watt plus 200 as the sack leader probably should be. Garrett at plus 250. Trevon Diggs is plus 500. I think that's going to, you know, he's fallen off the he needed to have this crazy interception here. Matt Judon. Got to save Aaron the uh uh, trouble of mentioning him is at plus 800. I love Matt Judon. He is not defensive player of the year okay. over Garrett and Watt. Okay. And Aaron Donald at plus 1400. He, as great as he's playing, to uh, to be the fourth time champion, he'd have to be doing something otherworldly because all the voters are going to naturally move on from him. So yes. I would probably vote for Watt after that game. Before that game, I probably would have said Garrett. Mostly Matt Judon is defensive fashion plate of the year for making red sleeves so incredibly awesome. 
Um, I'll tell you something interesting, which is SIS's points saved stat. You know, none of these Uber stats is should be used on its own, right? Like, I'm a great believer in using multiple stats, not one stat that tells you everything. Right. Um, and uh, especially for defense, you know, you've got Pro Football Focus's war, you've got Sports Info Solutions point saved. What's interesting is their top players at cornerback and linebacker come up with more points saved than their top players at pass rusher. Hmm. And I'm curious if that is a flaw in the system or if it's making a statement about what pass rushers are worth that we should be considering like Jalen Ramsey for defensive player of the year. Right now, the leaders in SIS points saved are Ramsey and JC Jackson hmm. at 50. Then Micah Parsons at 47. Okay. Aziz Al-Shair at 45. Huh. And Dante Jackson at 45. And then Devondre Campbell at 43. I think Watt is at 38, Donald 37, and Garrett 35. It's yeah. weird to me that the top pass rushers are 10 and 12 points behind the leaders. Right. But it does make you wonder, maybe Ramsey is having a bigger effect? And the top pass rushers. I I need to look at how they're how they approach the negative space at cornerback, of the route run that the ball is not thrown to. Right. You know how how, how are they doing it? Because at some point you make some sort of adjustment saying, well, the ball ball wasn't thrown to that guy, therefore X. That's a point in the favor of you know or a quarter point in favor of Ramsey, etc. I need to see where that is because my first instinct is okay. It's one thing for Ramsey and Jackson to be up there. Yeah. Uh, but it's another thing to have a couple other guys that we're not thinking yeah, of. Dante as... Jackson being having more points saved than Garrett or Donald yeah. seems weird. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like the, the, there's a pinky on a scale someplace that, that doesn't belong. You know? um, I'm surprised Al Shair is that high as far as linebackers. I'm not surprised Devondre Campbell is because he's been like a huge playmaker this year. Australia has been good in replacing uh, in, in, in for injuries in the Niners defense. He has not been defensive player of the year good. He's not been second linebacker good. He's not been full ball good. He, he's been good. I've enjoyed watching him, but, but no. Right. By the way, I'm convinced that Al Shire is mispronouncing his own name because they keep calling him Al Shire on broadcasts, which is, I'm guessing, how the team has told them to say it. Oh, like, like Lord of the Rings? Like Al Shire? Yeah, like Lord of the Rings, like Al Shire. I am uh, baffled sometimes with some of the things I hear. I'm like, that's how his name is pronounced? That that one really sounds wrong. Useful was first, says, Ramsey and other cornerbacks might have bigger impact, but pass rushers will always be perceived as having a bigger impact because the TV camera is more focused on them. In my opinion, I don't think it's just your opinion. I think you're right. 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 Um, because the best thing that a cornerback can do is to not appear on the screen at all. Right. Right. You go back to Hall of Fame conversations and you try to pull up the stats yeah. of a Hall of Fame quarterback. Not well, before charting just... existed, especially like. Right. Right. It's like, it's like Deion Sanders did nothing for three years. Like, yeah, he no one no one else did anything either because he had a shot. Yeah, he didn't get picks because no one threw at like they throw right. at Trevon Diggs. Right. Right. Um, it's interesting. I've thought about this a lot. Like, you know, there's certain things where I feel very strongly about who should have certain awards at this point. And there's others where I'm like, I don't know. And um, yeah, I mean, I think Donald is a, I think Donald is a candidate. I think Garrett is, I think Watt is, I think Ramsey is. Uh -huh. 
Um, I would stick Diggs in there if he gets like five more interceptions and like this is the story of their season that he, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't think that's likely to happen. Right. right. I, the fact is, Diggs, the fact that Diggs, um, the you, fact that Diggs gives up a lot of big pass plays going for those interceptions, yeah, doesn't make him a bad cornerback. Right. Like I still think he's having one of the top cornerback years, but it means he's not the defensive player of the year. And I'll, also, I I would not put him on All Pro at corner right now. Right now, I would put Ramsey and Jackson ahead of him. Okay. Yeah. I put him on uh, Pro Bowl, like right. just for the NFC. If you were like, oh, who are the top five corners in the NFC? Four, four or five corners this year in the NFC? Oh God, no question, Trevon Diggs. But mm-hmm. best defensive player in all of the NFL? No. No. Yeah, he lost it for me when he gave up the sideline touchdown to Patrick in the Broncos game, where it's like, you know, if you're that guy, Tim Patrick isn't beating you from Teddy Bridgewater in a close game up the sideline. And I think he had a penalty earlier in that game. There's a couple of penalties on his resume, too. Um, what would you do right now for offensive player of the year? Uh, Taylor. Yeah, I mean uh... – I keep my eye on Cup if he gets to 2,000 yeah, receiving yeah. yards. That that obviously is a huge thing. He that that's within uh, that's within range. But but yeah, I mean it, it's Taylor uh, at the moment for me. Uh, by the way, Chad Reuter says that the FAU game notes also say Aziz Al Shire. Yeah, Al Shire it is. How would Brian Kelly say it? Al Shire. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to see it in the original Arabic, I guess. <laughs> and so Brian Kelly, because that's the only way he would make his decision. Uh, <laughs> well, what, what, did, what independent George says, what do defensive back numbers mean for good coverage guys with hands of stone, like Ike Taylor back in the day? I mean, well, I think it's an interesting question. What is the value of an interception over just good coverage? Like, would you rather have an interception or like really good coverage on five other passes? Right. I think I would rather have a interception and four completions in front of the guy than five balls going. Remember, it's not just five incompletions, five balls going elsewhere. But it's tricky. Ike Taylor was an interesting one because they played a ton of cover three back then. And he was a, he would drop off and his whole thing was, well, if the blitz don't get there, you you give up the eight yard pass, the 10 yard pass in front of you. And then he would drop a lot of passes. But I know, like I said, I would go back and look at the statistics of cornerbacks especially from that era, we didn't have much charting and things like that. And you throw your hands up because if you see 75 tackles, you it means the guy probably gave up, you know, 55 passes right in front of him and play. But you think, Oh, he played the run real well. That's not probably. right. Like, cause even in that day, unless you're, you've got access to the play by play, which we do, right. But you can't separate run tackles from pass tackles. Like right. I could for guys from the nineties and two thousands separate yeah. run tackles from pass tackles. But there really aren't a lot of corners who are putting up big tackle numbers because of run tackles unless they were in a cover two. Rondé Barber. Rondé Barber. Right? Rondé Barber always had very high tackle numbers, not because he was getting passed on, but because he was playing the run. Antoine Winfield Sr. was another one like way back yeah. in the day. He, and he was a tiny dude, you know, and he would get in there in cover two and he'd slice in there. But, yeah, Jonathan Taylor. Debo is another guy I would put in the – in the mix, I was looking at his yak numbers again, and it's and it's stunning. But you've got a guy who they're a running back who they got the focal point of their offense, scrimmage yards leads the league, et cetera, et cetera. And if we're going, and Aaron, you know, we talked about this pretty length, lengthily a couple of weeks ago. If we're going to say offensive player of the year is not best, non quarterback award, 
which I'm fine with, then then we're going to do that. And Jonathan Taylor, useful was first, says Jonathan Taylor is having a monster season. It must be something with AFC South running backs or their schedules. It's not. Jonathan Taylor gets a positive schedule adjustment. He has played a harder-than-average schedule of opposing defenses. Think of some of the defenses he has sliced through and how good they've been against the run against other teams, like New Orleans. Hmm. Like, despite the problems that they had on Monday night, Buffalo. Hmm. Like, Jonathan Taylor has played a hard schedule of opposing run defenses and is still putting up those incredible numbers. And if you look at the metrics that we do have that try to separate a running back from the blocking, he does outstanding so I think if he continues on this pace, I would say Taylor. Mm-hmm. The difference is I think it is more likely that Cooper Cup or Justin Jefferson, especially mm. now that there's no Thielen, yeah. right. continue on their paces for five more games. That is more likely than Taylor continuing on his pace because so much of Taylor's value, at least by FO numbers, is based on one game. Well, yeah. right now, odds-wise, Cup and Taylor tied at plus 160. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting. You, you go to Debo at plus 2,000. I mean, that, that's pretty good odds. What, I'm going to take Debo at plus 2,000 at this point. Just, just throw five bucks at it and see what happens. Okay, Cup at, one, at 150 yeah, and Taylor at 150. Yeah. Then after that, who's next? Debo at 2,000. There's no... He's, there's no one in between them. No Justin Jefferson. No. No, they're they're sleeping on Justin Jefferson. I have a feeling that Jefferson is just going to get eaten up by triple co- coverage. But he's he's down at plus plus thirty five hundred. All your quarterbacks come in. Kyler and Josh Allen plus twenty five hundred plus twenty five hundred. So Vegas has decided yes. that the voters have decided that yes. this is the non quarterback rule. Yes. Yep. Yep. Especially when there's no. When, when it's not like there's two quarterbacks running away with MVP, and it's like, oh, you, you know, n- nobody's going to be like, oh, my God, we got to give the second-best quarterback an award this year. Yeah. If, if someone was going for, like, 5,000 yards on a 4-13 on a and 13 team or something, maybe then you may go, oh, he's not the most valuable player because they suck, but uh, right. maybe, maybe something but like I that. I think more and more, I think yeah. more and more voters are thinking this is the non-quarterback award. Yeah. MVP yeah. is the quarterback award. This is the non-quarterback award. Yes. And so Taylor and Cup, Taylor and Cup as the leaders make absolute sense. And it'll depend on what they do over the last five games. Right now, I like I said, right now I would go Taylor, but Cup, um, I think Cup has a more likely chance of having a better last five games. Uh, one last question before we go, Joey sucks. Do you guys think the McVeigh's offense gets figured out in the second half of the year thing is real? Not particularly, no. Um, I think the, the, it may be a little bit this year because everyone's going, what, what's the offense going to look like now that Stafford's in it? It's like, oh, now they know, and now they know how to defend a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think that as a general trend is really a thing. Um, I think there, there are other great reasons to explain some of the Rams' late-season drop-offs. Later. One year, Cup got injured. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Goff got injured. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Todd Gurley got, got injured. Yeah. So that, that explains a lot more of, of the late-season drop-offs than, than – Oh, you know, for some reason, no one knows how to defend him in October, but December, they got it. Especially because there is film on the, yes, it was different with Goff. It wasn't quite the same. But we know what McVeigh's deal is. 
There is film on his first whatever four years with. The, we know what the deal is. Like you can go back and see how that scheme works. Like there's no reason why suddenly in December of 2020 you had more film on the golf Rams than you had in October of 2020. Right. Yeah. Um, Timo Risky, uh, otherwise known as PFF Moo, I think that's who has on Twitter, did kind of a thread kind of disproving the, you know, showing that it's like kind of random weeks, that if you pick random weeks of the season, mm-hmm. McVay's offense hasn't been figured out at all. It's just a question of like what weeks you pick. Right, right. Like last year against the Dolphins, there was like a six turnover game in October. Um, you know, and then they rebound for several weeks and then the quarterback gets hurt. And by the way, I mean, last week against Jacksonville, they're running out there with six offensive linemen. They were putting cup all over in the backfield. I think part of it was just like, let's just end this game against Jacksonville, but they've got different things that they show out there. It's not just the one or two concepts. That I think we get really comfortable with. So I, I, don't, I don't say it. I think they switch it up more now than they did in the early McVay days. Yeah. yeah. It was one year where they were in three, uh, 11 personnel, like 98.5% of the time. That, that no longer is the case. They've changed right. things since then. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're easy to figure out. That means that can throw your tendencies out the window. Cause it's like, it's the same darn personnel in pretty much the same formation before the motion. And you're like, well, it could be any of these 45 plays yeah. that can be less predictable than, Oh, we got to just shift in, shift out, shift out. Here comes the third down back. We know what's coming. All right. That does it for today's ask us anything show. Thank you everybody for joining us on uh, your favorite app and please like, and review the show. So other people can find us, especially podcast people. If you're listening afterwards as a podcast, that would be really helpful. And don't forget about that. FO plus 99 cents a week for an annual subscription, limited time offer to get all of our data, all of our splits, all the fantasy football research picks against the spread, all of that stuff. Footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Thank you, Mike, for joining me today. Thank you, Brian, for joining me today. Uh, Tomorrow, Mike and I will be back with JP Acosta and our special guest, Arif Hassan from the Athletic Minnesota to preview Thursday night football and talk about what the hell went wrong with the Minnesota Vikings this year and why DVOA still loves them. I can't well, wait. <laughs> not love them. Likes them. Feels that they're nice. <laughs> friend zones them. <laughs> DVOA has friend zones, the Minnesota Vikings, and we all have. <laughs> That's right. It doesn't love them like it loves the Patriots. But, you know, they're in the friend zone. All right. That does it for the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody.